I praise the Lord. Good morning. Good to see all of you. I praise the Lord because last week uh, we said that Jesus was marveled or amazed. This morning I'm marveled. I'm amazed. Just I cannot believe that God saved me or God chose me or, or God called me to be, to be here this morning. We were singing and I, I was saying, Lord, please help me stop crying. I don't know why do I have to cry so much when we're singing. It's so beautiful. No, no, no. It's not because they're out of tune. It's really beautiful. It's really beautiful. The song we're singing this morning. Never heard them before. And I sang, sang, keep choking. I was just amazed and marvel what the Lord does. So I'm very glad to be here this morning. I tell you, every time I come here, I receive God's love from you, from you, through you. Because I can be driving my car, or I can be at home, or any place, and, and feel God's love. But when I come here, it's, it's I don't know what it is. Your next pastor is going to tell you what it is, but they come, he's going to come here and he's going to enjoy so much the love that you have for other people, the love you have for, your, for, for each other, so I praise the Lord for that. Uh, one day I met a pastor. Well, let me start with this, this uh, story again. I was planning a church, a Spanish-speaking church in Salisbury um, 10, 11 years ago probably, and it was taking a little bit long, and my kids were teenagers, and we lived in Mount Pleasant. We still live in that area, Mount Pleasant, Cabarrus County. And they went to school there. And my son, David, who was 16, 17, I was invited by a friend to go to a church in Mount Pleasant, First Baptist Mount Pleasant. And he started attending with a youth group there and having a nice time there. And, and he was going to church with us, but during the weeks he went to his friend because he goes to that school. So... To that area, and I was able to meet the pastor that they had there, the senior pastor. He drove all the way to Camp um, the Beach. I can't remember what the Camp the Beach and took the youth and everything. My son was very involved. He loved the pastor very much. Uh, something happened. My son stopped going to that church, to that youth group. But I remember as I was uh, praying one day, my office in Salisbury, being the director of missions there, the Lord told me to to pray for this pastor. Pray for him, pray for him. And, and I had the urge for two or three days to call him. And I tried and looked for his phone number. I could not find it. I called different places and everything that I called. They stopped me, they stopped me, they stopped me. It was Easter, then Easter went by. I said, why do I need? I drove by, I didn't see him. It was a different situation. Finally, I got a hold of him. I was able to contact the pastor. He said, Jonas, I've been almost for a week in my knees right here in the altar. Monday through Friday, every day of the week, I come, and he was a full-time pastor. He was kneeling there. And the Lord called him, and not, not to go to heaven. <laughs> He's still alive. And, and he left. He resigned, and he started a ministry in um, Salisbury, first driving a school bus and then driving a bus. And he talks with homeless people, and he ministers to homeless people. Then he got a van, and he drives for free. He still works with, with the city of Salisbury, but he drives the van and picks up people and talks, shares the gospel with them and takes them anywhere they need to go, free. He says, a free ride. And that's the excuse. You don't pay me, but I share the gospel with you. And he's been able to baptize some people. Some, some people have even died from his ministry, so he has ministered to the family. It's incredible, but you know what? I don't want to make this story long. He was praying, and I was praying and the Lord connected both of us. It was incredible. Until this day, I say, how did the Lord knew? How did I know? Why did I? It was the Lord connecting prayers. The Lord does that. The last church that I had the opportunity to visit and preach, like I'm doing right now in Hopewell, is called South, um, South China Grove Baptist Church. 
And last week, Sherry came to me and said, Jonas, we want to find a church where there's a lady Bible study. And I said, I don't know. Oh, she said Rowan or China. I don't know about that. So I contacted some people that I know in the area. And finally, they got me one, South China Group. So they have a ladies' Bible study. I think Sherry's going to start attending. But here's what is interesting with this church. And I can say this publicly because they know it also. They were desperate without pastor four or five years ago. The church was shrinking, 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 shrinking. One day they told me, Jonas, we don't know what we're going to do. We're not able to hire a pastor anymore. So we have this big problem that we don't have money. And we don't have money to pay a pastor. And I told them, let's pray. And they invited me to preach. I should not have done this as a director of mission, but for some reason, the board of directors or the church let me be there for months. I think it was like two months and a half. As a director of mission, I should not be there more than two or three weeks and then encourage the church to get a, a substitute, a, an interim or somebody to preach, but I should not. But I stay there for Sunday, Sunday. I remember that I kept telling them, invite me to Wednesday for Wednesday. It will be free. I just come and just, just lead the prayer service and, and help you pray because I wanted them to focus on prayer. They were sad. They were hurt. They were leaving the church, less and less people. And then I stopped preaching. They said, we have somebody that's going to preach for you. So I stopped attending and started caring for the other 40-something churches that we had in Rowan, or we have in Rowan County. And one day, one of the deacons came to my office crying, crying. He said, Jonas, we got a pastor. We got a pastor. You know what he told us? He said, I don't need your money. I'm a retired pastor, and the Lord has blessed me so much that I don't need your money. I'll come and preach and lead the church free. I don't know if they're paying him. That's, that's not the business. That's not the issue. Is that God connected a retired pastor that won a smaller church to grow that church again. He connected with a church that did not have a pastor. A few days ago, I was able to talk with this pastor one-on-one. And he says, yes, when we came here, when he and his wife came, there was like a lack of faith. They needed faith. And right now that church is faith. They're all about God, all about love, all about everything. God was able to connect the pastor that was retired, he's, he's now in his 80s, but he was glad to come to that church with a church that was needing him. God put them both together. And I realized that we serve a God. And I wanted to title this message, The God That Hits Two Birds With One Stone. That's the title I wanted to give it, but it sounds like God is violent. He's killing birds. I don't want to say that, and I don't want to write it here. So I said, one stone is enough for God. When he wants to hit two or three, or four, or five birds, he can do it with one stone. If you have two, or three, or five problems, if we have several issues, many issues in church, God, with one stone, he can hit all of these problems. He can. I've seen it. I've seen it. And I want to bring you to Acts chapter 10, so you can see in the Bible, I'm not going to preach about my testimony, about myself, I just wanted to share this with you, because it happens. And it's happening right now also. But right now I want to go to the Bible because the Bible is powerful. And there's nothing more powerful for me to preach the word of God. But I wanted to bring you this testimony so you can see that I live this. This is happening in my life and I see it. And this is true. And the Lord is going to bless Hopewell. It doesn't matter how many problems you have, how many issues. He's going to do it because the God that you serve, the God that you believe is the same God that we're going to read this morning here. And we have here a man called Cornelius. That is Roman, like last week we were talking about a centurion. We're going to talk a little bit about a centurion, but we have here a man in Acts chapter 10. Let's read about him and his deep spiritual convictions that he had. 
Acts 10, I start with verse 1, and I'll stop in verse 8, though we need to read the whole chapter, but we won't. We'll just, I'll just explain the chapter to you. Just eight verses, Acts, Acts 10. At Caesarea, or Caesarea, or however you want to pronounce that English word, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man, devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and and a devout soldier from from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Cornelius. Thank you for Luke that wrote this story. Thank you for Peter, who, who had a lot of prejudice. And you were able to overcome this prejudice. Thank you for this beautiful church here, Father, called Hopewell. And the faith they have in you. The the love they have for each other and for the community. And the love they have, Father, for many people that they don't even know. For missionaries. Father, I pray for the pastor, for the leader, for the family you're going to bring here. I don't know who they are. I don't know where they are. But I know something, Lord. That you're able to use just one stone. Just one, Father, and you're going to solve everything. You're going you're gonna to lead them, not solve everything. Maybe I'm, I'm exaggerating with this, but you're going to lead them towards you, closer to you, Father. So we fall in love with you every day, and we do what you want us to do. Father, we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. The passage that I just read talks about a man called Cornelius. Nothing to do with corn flakes, no. Corn came later, okay? Corn was found in, in Mexico, that's what I've heard. So we're in the, in the first century. But this guy's called Cornelius, and he's a centurion. And I said something last week that is wrong. I need to pick up my words. And I said that a centurion had 100 people, and that's where we get the word century in Spanish with cien. No! Sorry. But Romans are very superstitious. They never liked even 100 numbers. Never. So a centurion, instead of having 100, they had 80, or 85, or 93, or 105, but never 100. They were very, very superstitious. This man had to overcome so many superstitions as a Roman soldier to believe in the God that you believe. I hope you don't have these superstitions. I made a list of them. I hope you can giggle or you can take have fun of what they believe. Let me tell you, for example, that they believe in many things that they could not logically explain. For example... If you have a runny nose, like, like this guy here, or you got the hiccups, the best known cure was to kiss a female mule in the nostrils. Yup. <laughs> I prefer the, the runny nose. By the way, when I came to America, I, I learned that in my country, for example, do this is fine, but do and clean is ugly. That's bad manners. They told me that here is the opposite. Here, you better clean your nose and don't come here like I am. Don't do that. That is bad manners. That's what I heard. I don't know if it's different or not. But for the Romans, 
To get rid of it, it was very easy. Find a female mule and right here in the nostril, give her a kiss. It had to be female. Superstitious, okay? Super, don't follow this. This is not the Bible. Please, I'm preaching, but this is not the Bible. Don't think, oh, the pastor said, no, 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 no. This is what the Romans believe. This is what Cornelius believed. It was also believed that some people were capable of hurting others just by looking at them. Such, such superstition was called evil eye. Very common in Spanish-speaking countries. And, and the ladies, the moms, put a little red thing on the baby. So when you look at the baby, say, ah, how cute your baby. You don't bring evil eye and the baby gets sick. Because that's a superstition. People believe that. I don't know if you ever heard that, evil eye. The person looks at the baby or looks at your house or looks at your car and has an accident. Superstition. You put something red and that kind of, maybe following rehab, I don't know, superstition. We don't, I don't believe those things. I don't believe those. Maybe you do, but I don't believe. I, believe, I hope you believe in God in the Bible. Romans believe that seeing an owl, ooh, 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 you know what an owl is? Okay. Symbolize a bad omen. Smelling the cyclamen flower is supposed to prevent evil charm. And the bees, in turn, were considered to be messengers of the gods. Were to bring good luck. So have bees and good luck. So be careful so they don't sting you. Moreover, it was a superstition in Rome that if you were talking about a wound or an ulcer, you should not touch the right place, either on yourself or on others, so as not to incur this suffering. Oh, you know what Miss, Miss so-and-so had? Let me tell you, she had this problem right here. Don't touch me, don't touch me. Oh, right here in this eye, don't touch your eye, because then you bring bad omen, and you get sick in that eye. It's superstition. Oh, here in this, here's the, stomach, here's the liver. Oh, here in the stomach, and you get acid reflux. You touch the place. So that's superstition. That's what the Romans believed. I'm not teaching you to believe it. You can smile. You can laugh. That's okay. But that's what Cornelius probably grew up with. That's the religion that they had. Superstition. Carrying a bride over the threshold. Anybody has seen that? You have seen it. Maybe you did it or somebody did it to you when you got married. Maybe. Or you're planning to do it if you're going to get married. Many Romans consider it bad luck. Not to observe the tradition of a groom carrying his new bride over the threshold of, the, of her new house. According to a folklore compilation at Dartmouth College, and that is still practiced after many wedding ceremonies today, the idea was to prevent the bride from tripping when she came in the house. Avoid the tripping. Because when the person tripped, it disturbed the spirits that lived in that house. They had paid people to come in the house with the right foot. And then they enter behind them. They pay them. Come in the house. So they will not distract me, do this, and get in the house with the left foot. No, because that will get the evil spirits or the spirits angry. You always went in with the right foot. Some soccer players, some football players go into the field also with the right foot with that belief. But to prevent that, you pick up the bride. Don't let her trip. And you go in with her under through the threshold. That's where it comes from, to prevent those spirits to get angry for coming in with the left foot. Oh, there's so many here. I, can't, I think I could be just about the interesting thing about the chickens. Let me see if I can see the chickens here. <clears throat> One is here about the weddings. You don't get married in the month of May. Uh, because May, with the blooming flowers and pleasant weather, might seem an ideal time for nuptials. However, for the Romans, the month carried a somber undertone. May was dedicated to the dead and was a host of a festival of Lemuria, a time when malevolent spirits or the deceased were believed to roam the earth. 
A sneeze, here's something interesting, the sneeze could be a disaster. To the Romans, a sneeze was not just only simple expulsion of air, but a potential sign of the gods. Depending on the context, a sneeze could be interpreted as an omen, either good or bad. The direction that you sneeze, snows, I was going to say snows, sneeze, (laughs) I was translating, Um, depending if you sneeze to the left or to the right, that had a crucial play. As sneeze to the right was considered favorable and a possible indication of approval or positive reinforcement from the gods. Conversely, as sneeze to the left was viewed with suspicion and was often taken as a warning or a sign of impending misfortune. They believed that when you sneeze, something was coming out, probably the spirit. And people said, salve, or salud. Salud means health. In Spanish, when a person sneezes, we say salud. It's a tradition. Here in English, you say, bless you. So your spirit goes back and stays in, right? You're trying to stop something from getting out, so you bless you. I've heard people say Jesus or something like that. So it's kind of like giving a blessing to help that person. If you see an owl panic, the nocturnal call of the owl echoing through the stillness of the night was long been a source of fascination and fear in various cultures. For the ancient Romans, the owl was a harbinger of doom. The hoot of an owl was believed to foretell death or disaster, making it one of the most dreaded sounds in the Roman world. This belief was so deeply ingrained that the mere sighting of an owl within the city's boundary was cause for alarm. An owl, an owl, everybody run, we have to do something, cover, paint, or jump, or swim, or dance, some, do something, because there are owls. Owls, their piercing eyes and silent flight were seen as creatures with access to hidden knowledge and secrets. Their association with the night, a time when the veil between the living and the dead was believed to be thin, further cemented their reputation as messengers to the underworld. World. Don't whistle in my house. The whistling was also bad, uh, bad luck. And we had something about the chicken. I don't see it here, but I'll tell you about it. Uh, they had a lot of chicken, and the way the chicken ate, oh, the, the priests had chicken in their backyards. And the way the chicken ate their, their corn, their, their food, was a signal of, yes, go ahead, go to that war. Yes, marry that person. Yes, do it, because the chicken are eating fast, are, are eating eagerly. That means that it's, it's the gods are saying yes. If the chickens did refuse to eat, they ate like, ah, then that's a no. The gods are saying no. So the priests fed or withheld the feeding just to make a difference, just to make the gods do whatever they wanted to. So they got paid. Oh, don't feed the chickens for a week. So when they come, do you want this to be a yes? Yes, the chicken were eating, eating, eating. I mean, it's a way of, that's paganism. You know that? It's paganism. It's making gods to do what you want them to do. I never tried to make God do what, what I want him to do. Never. Well, I used to, but I learned that that's paganism. I want to follow God. I want to listen to him. I believe that whatever he says, he plans, he does, is perfect. I believe that his word is powerful. I believe that he knows the, 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 the past, the present, and the future, and I want to follow him. I don't want to feed the chickens or withhold feeding the chickens just to make the gods or God do something. No. God, whatever you will is, is the best for me. Resigning, buying, selling. Tell me what to do, and I will do it. So this centurion, Cornelius, let's go back to the Bible, had quit all this, and instead of following the Roman 
um, religion, he was part of the Italian cohort, but he was a devout man, says verse 2, who feared God with all his household. He gave alms. He was a generous person. So he was always praying. He says that he continually prayed. And later, when we, if you read the whole chapter, you're going to see that he was fasting this day. He stopped eating because when you fast, when you just drink water or, or, or uh, take away some, some, of, some meals, we could do a study on fast, you listen to God better. You pay attention more to him and not only to your stomach and to your physical needs. But he was fasting that day when something happened, when an angel talked to him. But let me read some verses here in the Bible about the person who fears God, who search for him, for searches God. In Second Chronicles 16, 9, the Bible says, and this is the ESV version, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. I copied this in several versions so you can get a clear idea of what this word says in Second Chronicles. This is, a, this is a seer who said this to a king who had done something wrong in Second Chronicles. We'll not go through that story, but let me go to different versions. Like the HSB, HSCSB, HCSB says, For the eyes of Yahweh roam, roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those whose hearts are completely his. King James Version 21, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong and on behalf to those whose heart is perfect toward him. I think you're getting the picture. I have two more. The Lord is constantly watching everyone and he gives strength to those who faithfully obey him. That's the CEV. And finally, the EC English, one of my favorites. The Lord carefully watches over the whole earth. If people serve him faithfully, he makes them strong. That is 2 Chronicles 16.9. What that verse is telling us, it doesn't matter what version it is, is that God is constantly looking through the world if there is somebody who fears him, who loves him. And God here found a guy called Cornelius. And God could have said to him, accept Jesus, repent from your sin, or even easier, send an angel to share the gospel with him. But God will not do that. God will not send Mary or any of the apostles and come, or Elijah or Moses, and come and share the gospel with your neighbor, with your person, friend or, or relative that is walking away from God. He will not do that. He will use another Christian. He will use another person that has accepted Jesus. He will use another sinner that has been rescued from sin and is now living a Christian life and take him to Cornelius. So Cornelius is a devout man who gives alms, who loves the Lord. He, he fears God, and that's the reason why the angel of the Lord is, is after him. Psalm 34, 7 says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And Psalm 41, 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. Oh, here's something interesting, because he gave alms. He didn't know what he was doing, but he gave money to the needy people. Or maybe he helped not only build a synagogue, maybe he gave clothes, or he fulfilled the needs of poor people. The Bible in Psalm 41, 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. How interesting is that God is looking for these people, but God will not send an angel to talk with him. Because the message is very clear. He said, go to the city of Joppa, and there is a guy called Simon Peter. Go tell him to come and talk with you. God will send an angel, but will tell you, will connect both you and him. 
But God will not send an angel to share the gospel. Angels do not share the gospel. Angels are not allowed to talk about Jesus here on earth. There is a verse that many have interpreted, and this is in 1 Peter 1.12. 1 Peter 1.12. So you can pray, pray, pray all you want, but God is going to send a person to talk with that person. God is going to send a circumstance, a situation for that person who is walking away from the Lord. Maybe it's a relative of yours. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's one of your children. Maybe it's one of your parents, one of your, your siblings. But God is going to send a person to talk with that person. Let me show you. 1 Peter 1.12. It was revealed to them. And this is about the prophets. You can read 1 Peter 1, 1.12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. The prophets were not serving themselves, but serving you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. The angels wonder what it is to share the gospel with another person because they are not allowed to do it. The angel told uh, uh, Cornelius, send somebody to go get Peter and bring him here. Even more, God is preparing a vision for Peter. If you keep reading Acts 10, you're going to find that Peter is in another town. It's around 3 p.m. and he's hungry. He hasn't eaten lunch yet. And they're preparing the meal and all of a sudden he falls into something called like an ecstasy. And the Lord brings him something from heaven, like a big, big handkerchief with a lot of animals. And there's a voice from heaven that says, Simon Peter, kill and eat. But there are all kinds of animals, opossum, chicken, whales, all kinds of animals. He said, Lord, I cannot eat dirty things. I cannot eat common things. I only eat the, the diet that you gave us in the Old Testament. And here's another second time, the, the same handkerchief, the same uh, piece of, of cloth comes and all the animals. Simon Peter, kill and eat. And he says, no, Lord, I cannot do this. And the third time, the Lord says, what the Lord, what I have sanctified, what I have purified, what I have separated from evil, do not you call common, Simon Peter. And then the handkerchief went back, and Simon Peter was puzzled. He was confused. He said, what does this mean? What does this mean? And downstairs, somebody knocks the door. And they come and say, Simon Peter, and they start asking about him. They want to go, and he says, yes, I will go. And then when the next day, when Simon Peter talks with Cornelius, oh, Cornelius comes running, and he starts worshiping Simon. And Simon Peter says, no, 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 I'm a man like you. Stand up. And they both start sharing what has happened. You know what? Both were praying. Both were praying. Cornelius was praying. Simon Peter was praying. God had to solve an issue in Simon Peter's life. What was the issue of Simon Peter? Simon Peter rejected, stayed away from Gentiles. Oh, yes, they can accept Jesus, but so away from me because I'm a Jew. I cannot blend with these people. And God wanted to show him that the salvation was for Venezuelan, was for Mexicans, was for Americans, was for Canadians, was for people from Africa. The salvation was for people from Asia. The salvation was for all the nations. And if they have to come to the United States to get saved, we need to start looking for them wherever they are. Simon Peter had an issue. He said, "Mm -mm, mm -mm." like some of us sometimes, if they don't speak my language, I'm not going to share the gospel. What if they come to my church and I don't understand what they're saying? Sometimes we're afraid of them. And God wanted Simon Peter to solve this. And he showed it through his starvation. He said, I'm hungry. What do I do? And God, instead of saying, go and share the gospel, he sent just a picture of the whole animals that they were there. Simon understood very clear what God wanted to uh, tell him. He understood, and when he shared with Cornelius, there in chapter 10, 
He understood that he needed to share the gospel. Now, Cornelius was hungry for the Lord. He did not understand about sinning and repenting. He had not heard about Jesus. But God uses a redeemed person. It doesn't have to be a pastor. Pastors don't only have to be, only have to be the person that shares the gospel. When I came to the United States, I was surprised that most people have to accept Jesus here. Or, or the pastor makes the invitation to come here. That's wonderful. That's great. That's good. High five for that. I hope many people come to the altar. But I hope that many of us go, not wait here, but go, and we bring the gospel to other people. Because here, Cornelius did not go to church. Simon Peter said, hey, let's come to church because we have a wonderful pastor there. He's going to share the gospel. You're going to accept Jesus. and you're going to be... No, 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 no. In Cornelius' house. In Cornelius' home. You know what happened? When, when Peter arrived, Cornelius had all his family. Sitting down, children, adults, everybody listening, paying attention to what Simon Peter was going to say. And Simon Peter, you read the chapter 10, I'm not lying to you, explain the whole gospel. And explaining the whole gospel, the Holy Spirit came over every person and they believed, they accepted Jesus in, as their Savior and they were baptized. Again, this was at a house. So the Lord can use this beautiful building, the Lord can use VBS. I accepted Jesus in a VBS. The Lord can use the classroom for people to accept Jesus. But the Lord can also use a house, a prison, a school, a workplace, any place for people to accept Jesus and recognize themselves as sinners and start a new life. But my message this morning is God can hit two birds with one stone. And with one situation, one issue that that Peter had, hungry, and one issue that Cornelius had put them together, and both Simon Peter repented, he changed his mindset, and he understood that the, the salvation was also for Gentiles, and Cornelius and his household were saved. And many Romans probably heard the gospel. I don't know because I don't have any story about the friends of Cornelius or anything, but I believe that if he shared with his family, if he was such a devout person, and he learned that Christians share the gospel, tell others, I believe that Cornelius started talking about Jesus to many other people. What can we learn from the message this morning? And I hope we're early because I always love to finish early. Always love, I love that, to finish early. I love when people say, so, so short, that was so short. And I don't like when people say, hey, you're getting, what time is it? What time is it? Chicken, oh, the restaurant. No. Three things, three things, three things. One, God is looking for those who have a heart towards him. There is somebody close to you that is looking for God. There is somebody close to you, I don't know if your relative, I don't know if it's friend or your neighbor, that is going through a situation. Cornelius didn't have bad problems, we don't read about them, but there is somebody around you that is needing God. I don't know who that person is, but maybe you do. And if you don't have anybody, start praying. Start praying because God is going to reveal you, that person, that friend, your daughter, somebody needs God that is close to you. And you come to church, not, to pull, not only to pull people to church. Not only, that's wonderful you bring people to church, but you come to church to receive training to go to the world, to go to where Cornelius is, to go to the house of people, to go where they are at your workplace, at school, and bring the same love, and bring the same compassion that you see here in Hope. This is the hub. This is where we get trained, and then we go out. We don't necessarily have to bring everybody here. We go where they are, like Cornelius, because God is looking for those that have a heart, uh, a heart towards him, to reach them and save them. Number two, God wants to send forgiven people to bring the gospel to humans. We have to stop thinking that God is going to send angels from heaven. 
or that the pastors or the deacons are the only ones that can share the gospel. When the church started, when Jesus started the church, they only needed around 20 years to cover the whole earth, maybe 25. Some missiologists say that today in 2024, in 20 years, the whole earth, the whole earth can hear the gospel. Hear about it, respond, accept, or reject, but in 20 years we can do it. If every Christian, every Christian will be sharing the gospel in 20 years, everybody in the world would have heard the gospel. Now tell me something, according to Matthew 24, 14, what will happen the day or the minute that every person, every tribe, every tongue, every language has heard and can respond to the gospel? What will happen? What will happen? Who will come? Who will come? Jesus will come. And we think that he will come whenever he wants to come. He wants to come. He wants to come soon. But we have not done our part. We're waiting for the pastor to do it. We're waiting for the Sunday school teacher, for the chairman. We're waiting for the evangelism committee to do it. We're waiting for the radio station. God is waiting for each one of us to bring the gospel, to bring God's love to a person needed. 20 years, in 20 years this could happen. That's the reason Jesus said it will not pass one generation because in 20 years, but God is waiting. God is waiting. Let me tell you something. God has given us the easy part. You know what was difficult? You know what was difficult? To put nails here. You know what was difficult? Not to sin and let others mock you and spit you. That was difficult. I have not, God does not give that to me. You know what he gave me? Pray. Witness, go, speak. Oh, they mock you. Oh, that's not. If they make fun of you, that, that's nothing. That's not, look what they made to Jesus. But God has given us the easy part to us, the easiest part. He chose to suffer. He chose to go to the cross. First of all, before doing that, he chose to take a human body. Yes, to take a human body. It's like you want to go deep into the sea. You have to put on those things, huh? like a scuba diving, put that and walk down there to, to go and meet the fish. That's difficult because it restrains you. God restrained himself through Jesus to come here to love us. That was difficult. And then doing all that, he was hungry. He was sleepy. He was thirsty. They made fun of him. All that was difficult because he's God. And because he can do everything, when he's restrained, it's difficult. For us, it's the easy part. Pray, give, go. That's easy. Plus, he has said he will always be with us. Always, until the end of the century, until the end of this era, he'll be with us. And number three, God uses the same stone for two or more birds or two more targets. Let's take the birds out, but let's say targets. God uses the same stone for two or more targets. That's the God that we love. That's the God that I serve. I love to serve this God because he makes things so easy for us. We have to get, get busy in the work that we, he has assigned us. But I promise you. It was easy for Simon Peter to go and tell what he has seen in Jesus. What he has lived, the miracles, very, very easy because Jesus did it all. He made it all. All Simon Peter had to do was be faithful and go. My question for you today, are you willing to do your part? Are you willing to be Simon Peter? Or are you going to say, no, 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 I'm, I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too sick. I'm too busy. I have many things to do. As you go, you don't have to be a professional missionary. As you go, will you bring Jesus to other people? Will you bring his love? Will you share the love of Jesus with others? Will you love others like Jesus loved you? 
I always am surprised how God marvels me, how he amazes me, how he called this pastor from one church and brought him, and now he's serving uh, the, less, the, the poorest people in Rowan County, driving them for free or driving them in a bus. God connects people that are praying. My second question is, is, your, is our church praying? How are we praying for our new pastor, for our next pastor? Now, let me ask you something. Do you think God knows the name of that pastor? Yes. They sure he doesn't want to tell us yet. <laughs> if you have told us, we know it, we bring him, right? Maybe this is a time of revival for the church. For 30-something years, you had a wonderful pastor. And this is good. This is good to have a good pastor. The issue is that we don't learn how to find a pastor when we have a pastor for how many years? 30-something? Good. That's wonderful. But we have a pastor for so long, we don't know. And that is good. I'm not saying... Shame on us. We should have been changing pastor every two years so we know how to find him. No, 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 no. We want a pastor who will stay here for 20-something years, 30 years. We want a marriage, not a blind date. When you bring a pastor, you want a marriage. You want him to retire from this church, and I pray for that, that your next pastor will live here for so many years that he will retire from this place, that his children will marry People here in this area. And he wants to stay even after retirement. He'll be here. Because this church is so loving that he'll stay here. And not just one, only a person will stay here a year. And then bring another pastor. And then another year. Another pastor. Another year. Because nobody likes the place. Etc. You know what happens. And this is uh, getting me aside of the sermon. But this is just a word of, 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 of wisdom for you. You know what happens when a church changes pastor every year. Every two years. You know what happens. The third or fourth pastors wife does not want to come. The what? That the church has changed pastor every two years. I'm not going there. There's something wrong with that church. But when you have a pastor, when you have a, a, a church that had 30 or 20 or a number of years with one pastor, hey, that must be a loving church. That might be a place where we want to go and live. That might be a loving community. So you want one pastor to be here for many years. Anybody say Amen. Me too. I believe that's what God wants. I believe that this is a time of revival for this church, of unity more than anything. You don't pick up resumes and say, this one, yes, this one, no, 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 we don't do that. If I bring here 15 resumes, we got 15 different pastors because everybody, I like this one, I like this one, I like this. No, no, no. We pray, 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 pray until we become one. And then I can pick any resume. You say, no, that's not the one. Because we've been praying, we all love each other, we know what God wants. We pray, 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 and this is, no, 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 that's not the one. We pray, pray, and that might be, and then we get two or three. That makes things easier for everybody, but we need to, the price that we pay is prayer. We humble ourselves. The church unites in prayer when we don't have a pastor. Let me tell you, when I was 15 years old, 14, maybe 13, the pastor in our church resigned, and I learned how to preach. Scared. <laughs> I just had a lot of 15 years because there was no pastor. So when there's no pastor, I don't know, but I think good things happen, right? It brings up preachers from Venezuela. <laughs> that was when I was 15 years old. And I had to become a pastor. There was no organist. And I became an organist because there was nobody to play the organ. And I became an organist. So when you don't have a pastor, the Lord is blessing. And the blessing for this church is unity, but it has to be through prayer. We don't go in other and say, this is the pastor that I want. I want this pastor. This is the one I want. I like this one. I'm like, and no, I, I'm going to leave because I, you didn't choose the pastor that I wanted. I don't like that pastor that you chose. We are united because we have been praying for a year. 
we recommend that a church prays, prays a year. Maybe you get an interim, so you don't have to be different preachers here, etc. And he spends time visiting in the office and all the pastors do. But it would be wonderful if the church has an interim for a year and you devote to pray. And this interim is not promoting himself. Listen, this interim does not come and say, hey, I can be your next pastor. Hey, vote for me because I might be the candidate. This is not a beauty contest, I promise you. This is a marriage. And to get married, you examine, you pray, you wait, and you listen to God. I have another story, a bad story, of a pastor that came to a church, to a small church in Rowan County, promoting himself. He was not really a pastor. He came to the church, and everybody fell in love because he was shaking hands and everything. I think God is still calling me to be a pastor here. I think God is calling me to be a pastor here. And the church dismantled the whole committee and said, no, he's the pastor. He lasted two months, and he left. He was not a pastor. He was just only a good man who shook hands, but they didn't pray. So we need to devote time in prayer, not the committee alone, the whole church. Let's go back to my sermon. I'm going to finish. God can use any circumstance, two or three problems to solve it. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you because we have time this morning, and I thank you because your word is powerful. I thank you because Cornelius was called. I thank you for his heart, Father. This is an incredible man with all these superstitions, with all these funny facts in his culture, in his life around him. He could get tired of it and look for you and believe in you. And I thank you, Father, for Simon Peter who was faithful. Lord, there is a man and his wife. There is a family out there that you have as pastors of this church. There is a man of God that you're going to bring here, but you want us to pray, to be united, to be in love when this guy comes. Father, who is this person? We ask you, who is this person? Bring that person. Start loosing him from where he is. Father, we here want to grow in knowing you more. We want to make this church, the church that this pastor that you have for us deserves. He and his wife, he and his children, he and any relative that comes with him. We want to be that church. Father, thank you because you're incredible. Thank you because through prayer, you do what we cannot do through human resources. You do what we cannot do through websites. You can find the person, Father, if we pray. So when we say, how did you get this path? How did you solve this problem? How do you get healed? It was only God that who could do it. Father, this morning we're here because we believe in you and we want to minister to those that are in need. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.